Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning, everyone. It is super good to be with you. My name is Andy, Andy Arden, and I would like to invite you to take your Bibles to the text we just saw on the screen Psalm 51 this morning. Psalm 51, as you're turning there, uh, opening up in your apps there, whatever it is, uh, yeah, so good to be here and share from the text, and then in a little bit, share what we are doing in Spryfield. Really, that, that's not actually appropriate to say, share what God is doing in Spryfield. Uh, through us, uh, and us being open to that. We are planting a church there in the community of Spryfield. Who's ever heard of Spryfield? Yeah, who's ever heard anything about Spryfield? Yeah, a little bit. So we'll we'll talk about that uh, later on, but a more important conversation is our conversations with God. Uh, This series that you have been in church, uh, looking through prayers that people have had to our Father God, uh, that we can talk to him in any kind of situation. It's quite remarkable, right? Like, I've talked to God, and I'm not talking like pastorally here, like in my ministry, but just as his son, as his child, I've, I've talked to God, wept before him about the situation of others, right? Uh, like, have my heart's, my heart broken when you hear about somebody's wife getting diagnosis or just this, this tragedy, this death coming to a family, uh, you weep over those situations I have. Uh, I've wept before God, cried out to him over my situations and what has impacted me that I did not see coming uh, and just hits me like a truck. I've talked to God about the sins that others have done against me right? Like the wrong people have done intentionally that has hurt deeply, even if some of those people are church people, can go to God with that. But I also have had to, and it's also been my delight to, go to God, weep before him over my own sins against others and against him. And it's a bit of a different conversation, I think, when we're there and, and we're letting our wrong be known and we're walking in the light with it. Uh, spoilers for what I'm going to talk about later with a church plant, but one of our, our values as a church, Wayfarers Church, and how we walk is we walk in light. Uh, that's a value we hold as a church, that we're walking in light with one another and our struggles and our sins. We want that to be a regular pattern. It's so essential for our Christian life. But it's a unique conversation with God and even others when we do that, right? Confession isn't natural. I know that with my kids. Like I walk up to one of the kids. Did you do that? The marker on the wall? Was that you? And they look at me and they're like, Dad, what's a marker? <laughs> I... I, I I, I, that's, that's way too good for me. I couldn't have done that. And like, no, no, really, like the shade of red on the wall is the same shade of red on your fingertips. Are you sure that wasn't, you know, no, it must have been my brother, right? Like confession is hard. 
It has to get pulling out of us at times. It really doesn't happen well until we're like that prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells that story about this son who took his inheritance, basically wishing his father dead when he did that, left, spent it, found himself feeding the pigs, hungry over what they're eating, and then it says that he came to himself, that he began to realize, like, wait a minute, if I even went back home, back to my father, even just like worked for him as one of his servants, one of his slaves, I, it's better for me to go to my father in that way than it is for me to be here on my own with the pigs. That coming to ourselves is what leads us into confession, into talking like David talks in Psalm 51. Let me read the whole psalm for us. It's so good. Even even just seeing the words on the screen and reading them, like, man, this is significant. David's words. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me? Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will do not delight in sacrifice. You will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord to us today. We need to have the ability to talk like 
David. We should totally avoid the situation that got David into here, into this situation. Some of the Psalms, we don't have the author, we don't have the details, but we have like this big introduction, don't we, in front of verse one. It's in maybe most of your Bibles and translations. It says, to the choir master, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So we know that the setting of this Psalm, and it is a tragic, tragic setting. We, we have this instance of Nathan going to David after David had gone to Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. I'm gonna read a few verses uh, from there if you wanna turn there, uh, but, but I'll be summarizing a lot. It talks of David's gross and wicked sin. He, it's a time, it says in 2 Samuel 11, at the start of the chapter, it's a time in the spring when kings would go out to war. Uh, yet David does not. He stays at home. He's at the palace. And he's out one night and he sees a woman, a beautiful woman, bathing. It says in verse 2 through verse 4, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from a couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. It's such a, a tragic story, even up to, to this point. David, not where he should be, looks with lust, inquires, takes this woman, sleeps with her. It, it has elements of rape in that story. The abuse of, of power and position to influence yourself over another. What happens is when she tells David, hey, David, I'm pregnant. He, he thinks, all right, got to cover this up. I'm going to bring Uriah home from battle. He's out to war where I should be. I'm going to ask him to come home, give a report. Hey, let's extend. I want all the details. Oh, look, Uriah, it's late at night. Why don't you go home? You know, have sex, enjoy your wife, go back to the battlefield. You deserved it. But he doesn't do that. He, he sleeps on the steps of the palace for devotion to God, to the king, to his fellow soldiers. He's way more noble than David. So David has to cover it up again. So he actually sends word, put Uriah in like the front lines and abandon him. And yeah, it happens. He gets killed. David then marries Bathsheba and it looks like it's all covered up. Things are good. It's quiet. It's hush, hush. No one needs to know. You know, you, you tie up the loose ends. But in verse 27, the very end of the chapter, it says this, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. We need to remember that, friends. We need to know our sins, wicked as they are, if they feel undiscovered, if you feel like you've tied up the loose ends and you don't need to have this conversation with God, know 
that no matter what you've done that you think no one else has seen that is wicked, it displeases the Lord. He sees. He knows. So then, actually, it says in the next few words in chapter 12, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. Man, that would be a job, wouldn't it, right? To be, to be Nathan. Like imagine going to the leader of your country and calling him out from God. Here's the list of sins you've done. God knows about it. He, he tells the story to David and David gets all worked up about it. And like, it's, it's about this guy who like steals this pet little lamb from a family and kills it to feed his friends. Uh, instead of taking one of the lambs from his many, many flocks. And David's like triggered and upset and wants to get this guy. And Nathan says, you're the man. Then there's another exchange that happens. That's very powerful. We're going to look at a little later. But as, as we look now at these words David writes, after that encounter with Nathan, after he realizes, like, yeah, I'm, I'm the man, and he goes to God, and, and then we read those words from Psalm 51. We have to take away some things for ourselves from it. First of all, what we need to take away from this conversation with God, and we call out to him in a prayer of confession, we need to say, God, I need to be cleaned. God, I need cleansing. I need to be cleaned. That is the first point of the text. Now, if I say that, right, you know what that means. I need to be cleaned. That's implying something. I'm dirty. That's what that means. Uh, we're in the process of moving right now. We've been renting two years in Spryfield, and now we just bought our, our, our first home. We're excited. We're like, wow, this is crazy, crazy time to buy a home, but we're doing it. We feel like God's in it, and so we're moving and doing all the packing and I was cleaning out what we have affectionately called the wine cellar. And the wine cellar, when we were first moving in and the landlord was showing us around and the landlord was a new landlord to this property and it used to belong to this old Italian family and there are lots of grapes in the backyard, like 30 grapevines. Uh, this old Italian guy used to make wine there and so like, we were told like this is the wine cellar, apparently. But it looked like you would keep bodies there more than you would keep wine. It was creepy, and like the first time I went in there, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to find here. And so that's where we keep like all the outside yard stuff, all the junk, and so I was cleaning that out and uh, sweeping and spilling things and making a mess to clean the mess, right? And then I went inside, washed my hands in the sink, I was like, oh boy, I I'm dirty. You know, that like just blackness running into the water and going down the drain that I, that I couldn't see before. The, the dirt and the grime and even like the fertilizer that had built up that I was working with and, and cleaning up. I saw that I was dirty. We need to have those eyes if we're going to go to God in confession that God, I am dirty and actually I can't clean myself up. I, I can't do it in my own strength. I'm tr I've tried. It doesn't work for me to cancel out my sins, for me to even make things right with this other person. It's not something I can do in my own strength. And David now in Psalm 51 is finally at a point where he realizes it. 
You know, he wasn't beyond God's grace. He didn't go too far to outrun his love and his mercy. God still met him where he was. Even though he thought he had gotten away with it, God shows him, no, David, you're dirty. You need to be cleaned. So he calls out to God over and over. All these beautiful words, powerful words of of washing and cleanliness, Blot out my transgression. Cleanse me from my sin. Wash me thoroughly. It says, purge me with hyssop, which was like this branch that the priests would use. They would dip it in blood and like sprinkle blood everywhere all over the temple and the sacrifices, and it was ritual cleansing. Purge me with hyssop. I will be clean. Wash me in verse seven. I'll be whiter than snow. Even he talks about this rejuvenation, this cleansing of his bones. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken. That's interesting, right? That God, you have broken. The consequences of my sin, the, the breaking of the bones, it feels like. God, you've done that to restore me. Let those broken bones rejoice. Blot out all my iniquities. Over and over again, this language of cleansing. You have to realize you're a sinner. You're dirty. You you, you have done things that have broken your relationship with God, ruined it, declared war on him, and you cannot clean yourself up to come to him. The book of Romans tells us in chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, Paul writes by the Holy Spirit, But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law or apart from the rules that we try to keep, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who is faith in Jesus. That's saying a lot. What that's saying, yeah, we can't get ourselves clean. We can't make ourselves right with God. We cannot be justified is, is the big word. Or, um, yeah, it's, it's not, I've heard this, it's not quite right. But justified is like just as if I'd never sinned. It, it's not quite that because there was a penalty for the sin. The sin is recognized, right? Jesus died for it and removed it. It's not as though it never happened. Oh yeah, it happened, but the guilt has been placed on another and his freedom is placed on you. Right? That's how we get clean, by believing that that transaction has taken place and throwing ourselves on it, like our lives depend on it, because it does. It's, it says there as well that in the Old Testament, in the former days, the law and the prophets, it pointed ahead to this righteousness, to this Jesus. Because God was passing over former sins. He was passing over, like the Passover in the book of Exodus, for the time being. But finally a day came where debts were paid 
on the cross of Jesus that he might be just and the justifier. He might be the perfect one and the one who makes perfect. Or we could say using the language of Psalm 51 in the sermon, he would be the clean one to make us clean. We cannot clean ourselves. Uh, We need Jesus. That is what the whole Bible teaches us. That's what Psalm 51 is crying out. That is God's grace to show us that, right? So the thing is, we, we need to know that. We need to know our filth. And that's why, why David says, my sin is ever before me. We begin to talk like David. We begin to be comfortable and we begin to cry out to God, God, I've sinned before you. When we know our sin is before us. It's an uncomfortable position, isn't it? To, to lie awake with the thought of the wrong you've done. Even as you're working, you can't get that thought out of your head that you know you fought with your spouse and you're gonna make them pay and so you're just rolling over on the bed and giving them the cold shoulder. Uh, even though you promised you'll never go to bed angry, here you are. But the sin is before you still, right? You can't get it out of your head. You know, you open up your phone, you see that text exchange again, the sin's there again before you. That is the grace of God. That is his grace leading you to be in a spot where you will come to him in confession. David comes to God when his sin is before him. Now you might say, well, yeah, I I don't know. Am Am I really that dirty? Am I really that sinful? Do I really need to confess my sins to God? I mean, like if Jesus is the justifier, aren't, aren't things good? You know, have, like if I prayed about it once, like, you know, God, I'm a sinner. I do bad things. Please forgive me always. Amen. Isn't that like good enough? Or, or you might even just like be, be further than that. Maybe you're visiting church uh, or you've been here for a while and you're just not quite sure you, you've bought into this Christian message of the fact that we need to believe we're sinners and we need to confess those to God. Well, first of all, I would say, like, I don't think there's any true hope in a world that is apart from God and apart from a worldview that doesn't declare things to be objectively right and objectively wrong. I was just listening to a sci-fi Novel and it was really interesting. It talked a lot about like science and math and you know stuff like the the grain of sand thing we we, we did today and the galaxies and it, it it's weird because it's a fiction book which I like fiction but I don't really like math but it, it weaved it in really well. But you can definitely tell this is from an atheistic point of view. Uh, this this book and in in the book there's this whole faction of people that are really pro let's kill all the humans because they really see like in a world apart from God, there's no difference between humanity and sparrows and birds. And, and in fact, the fact that humans are so awful to all of these birds and bugs and slugs and trees really argues in the fact that we should be eliminated. It's just like pure elimination of anything wrong. Cancel culture makes a lot of sense in in, in a world uh, apart from God. 
You can try to just live your life like that, but you all have no hope. And you can even in church try to live like that, right? Of just like putting on this facade that you're clean. And we can really do that well as Christians if we're not careful. Be like me going into the wine cellar and cleaning up and then like realizing I'm dirty. Be like, yeah, I'm just gonna like throw on a new shirt today. And you know, I, I do that, you know, every other day. Let's just change the shirt, you know, new pair of pants. And you know, it begins to be very obvious that it's quite disgusting what's going on without getting clean. But we, we can do that in the church. We, we can say, you know, things are good. I'm having a good week. Uh, you know, the weather's been a little miserable. I've been kind of down a bit, but not really get down into the depths of where we are. Well, the wrongs not only done to us, but the wrongs we've done to others. We don't bring things to light. We, we walk in a miserable life. If you're like that and you're spiritually just putting on the new shirt and are not open and honest and vulnerable with others in the church, I believe truly you are leading a very lonely spiritual life. It is not what God has called you to. God has not called you to hiding. He has not called you to loneliness. He has called you to be part of his family that comes through confession. Do not be hidden. Don't be plugged up. Go to God for cleaning. Go to God for cleansing. But secondly, go to God in in confession in your conversation with him and, and say, God, I need to be changed. Not only, God, do I need to be clean, but secondly, I need to be changed. That's the second point of today's sermon. I need change. David says this in so many ways. God, I need personal change. There's this shift in verse 10. All the way from one through nine, he's asked for like different forms of like removal. Cleanse me, blot out, wash, purge. But then in verse 10, he starts to ask positively for himself. Create. Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. Restore, verse 12. 14, deliver. 15, open my lips. He he goes on and on again about change and and new things happening. Verse 15, oh Lord, open my lips, and with my mouth will I declare your praise. Uh, He he goes on to to say he wants rejuvenation and and restoration that'll overflow from himself. A a start over, a a whole new beginning where it seems there can be none, right? And and David gets that, right? Like he's still king. He still has God's favor and grace with him. There is mess, but his family expands. He's on the throne for many years. There's a renewed walk with God. He is not beyond change, and neither are you. What do we do often, though? How do we often come to God for change, or, or really, even sometimes, to avoid the consequences? That can be how we go to God in a prayer confession, and it can be slippery. 
God, I'm coming to you because I got caught and I really just want the consequences to go away. Could things just go back to where they were? That'd be great. It's not how David prays. But when we pray like that, there's an action that usually comes behind it. That's that we can bring our best to God in this prayer of confession. You've done this. I've done this. You know, God, I know I've sinned against this person, but I'm going to try a lot better. You know, I'm not going to do that thing anymore. I'm going to start going to church. You know, I'm going to help the old ladies across the street. I might even volunteer somewhere. I'm going to up my giving. And we're cool, God, right? That's what we do. That's what we think. God, I'm going to pray more and read my Bible more. And this is going to make our relationship better. What are we doing? We are bringing sacrifices to God to earn confession. And what does David say doesn't work? Bringing sacrifices to God to earn favor and confession. Verse 16, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. No, David cannot come to God and say, God, I'm going to make my walk better with you. I'm going to try harder. You know, I'm going to sit in the front row next week. And don't judge anyone who sits in the front row next week. I'm going to try hard. And then you're going to love me. I'm not going to sin anymore. We're going to be great. No, that is not how God works. We do not bend him in our favor. And actually, that's a trap. That's a really horrible way to live with God, right? Because how much is, en- is enough, right? It's like you're, you're in the grocery store and you just cut someone off in the corner in the aisle and you know, that, that's not even really a sin. It's just like an inconvenience on that person. You say sorry, you move on. There's not a lot of transaction. You don't need to pull out your wallet and give them like a 20 for, for cutting them off. That'd be weird. I remember one time though, uh, where I was formerly pastor, and I was in like middle of the woods, New Brunswick, really close to Chipman, if you know where Chipman is. And Chipman has an Irving lumber mill there, a lumber, lumber yard. Uh, so one of the Irving boys was in town uh, one day, and I don't know, uh, the story I heard was he wasn't paying much attention uh, in the intersection. There's a little fender bender between him and another person, and uh, he gets out and he's like, oh, you know, I forget what car they were driving. Uh, maybe I'm just going to pull out a car, like a, a Honda Fit or something. And he's like, oh, you like Honda Fits? Uh, you know, what color do you want? We don't need to go through insurance or anything. I'll just, I'll just get you a new one. And, you know, he could do that. We can't do that with God, though, right? It's not just a fender bender. It, it is not just cutting him off in the grocery aisle. But when we sin against God... Even in the little sins, what it is doing is taking the word and the will of the very one who gives us life and breath, who has given us everything, created all the world, all of the galaxies that we couldn't even count on the picture with all of their millions of stars each, to sin against him and say, God, you're not worth it. You're not good. My way is better. How are you going to make up for that? How are you going to actually live? How is a sitting in the front row going to buy him off? That's an offense. And that's slavery if you want to live like that to God. So here's the good news. That is not 
what God loves, but he loves this. He loves someone who comes to him and is broken. He realizes they have nothing and cannot earn any favor from him. Who comes to him and uh, is they're a, straight up, they're a hot mess, right? Someone who knows I'm at the end of my rope. As Jesus said, all those who are weary, who are burdened, come to me, he says. It says in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And isn't that the most vulnerable and the most awkward situation for us to be in, right? When we have to go to somebody that we've sinned against and say like, look, I did something awful and I can't make it right. I cannot pay you back. I cannot buy you a Honda Fit. When we go and say, I got nothing, but I'm broken over this. We, we feel like that is like the worst place for us to be at. Like when we're, there's nothing and we're just open and honest and raw and like everything is on the line. But God says, when we feel like that's the worst, God actually says, that's what I love. That's what I'm drawn to. That's what I want to see, right? Isn't that cool? Isn't that just so backwards, right? Because we would keep those kind of people at arm's length, people who come to us and can't make it right with us. We'd say, I'm not really sure that you're actually broken. What's the proof? But God just, his heart is warmed. Come to me all who are weary, who are burdened. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's the heart of Jesus, so when you come to Jesus, say, Jesus, I'm broken. I got nothing. I can't read my Bible enough. I can't put an extra row in the front so I can sit even closer. He's like, I know and I love you. And I'm drawn to you. My child, my son, my daughter. That's the gospel. That God loves us. There's an old hymn, right? Right? And that really captures us, knowing our sin. The vilest offender who truly believes, and I'm going off memory, it's, it's, it's foggy, you might need to help me out. I think the vilest offender who truly believes, is it a ransom, a pardon from Jesus receives? Something like that. But we get it though, right? Somebody who would make David here, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, blush. Make that David blush they can receive pardon from Jesus. You can receive pardon. When we're at our dirtiest, his heart is actually the most for us, reaches out to us. So we beg God, don't leave me there. Change me and change me for the good, not just of myself and my walk with you because God, I got nothing, but change me for others as well. David's praying for community change. He says, open my lips so I can teach, so I can speak, right? Give me a voice to be able to pass on your grace to others. Verse 18 18 and 19, do good, God. You do good in my life. In your good pleasure, build up the community, the walls of Jerusalem, 
And then what will happen? Then we will do what is right and sacrifice uh, to you, the burnt offerings and, and all that, right? It's not that we do our offerings to earn God's forgiveness, but because God forgives and he does grace, then we respond in that restored relationship with a joyful walk of obedience that overflows into community life, church life. And God knows that. God knows that full confession happens when we not just have this conversation with God, but we have it with others as well. That, that we can be open and honest with a brother and sister and say, I've sinned. Not even against you, but, but this week, here, here's how I've sinned uh, against God. Why we at Wayfarers Church value walking in the light. We know that that's such a joyful place to be in with brothers and sisters in Jesus. Uh, That I know that when Kayla and I are fighting, when you're having a rough day, I can call up Mark or I can call up Corey or Ryan or one of the guys and be like, hey man, Kayla and I just fought. This is what we just fought about. You need to pray for me because I'm not a good husband right now. And Mark will pray for me. This has happened many times. And encourage me to look to Jesus. And then I know someday Mark's probably going to call me. And, 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 you know, we don't, like, on the phone be like, really? You fight with your wife? How could you? You're a church planter. Like, you need to resign. We don't do that, right? That's not what the gospel teaches us to do. And you know what we do when we do that, right? Like, well, when you try to walk into the light with your struggle and your sin, even if it's a small one, and others around you are like, really? How could you? Do you think you're going to confess again? No. But when we're at church, then when someone can confess, and the fingers aren't pointed, but the arms are out, right? That they're embraced, that they're restored. You know what that does that shines a little more light. So the next person feels like they can confess that it's safe, that we can walk in light with one another. If you want to create an artificial culture in church where there's no mess, but there's also really no love, where there's no cleansing and transformation, then just point fingers and don't confess your sin. But confessing to one another, because as it says in 1 John, if we walk in light as he is in the light, and a fellowship with one another. So we're open, we're honest, we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, uh, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's non-negotiable. So much of this is on the character, the heart of God. The very end of David's talk with Nathan, David says this to Nathan. He finally comes to these words. And I, I think he, he, I can picture he said this, then he went to his bedroom and wrote Psalm 51. Like that's, it could have been that, could have been like a couple months later, who knows. But David said this to Nathan when he said, like Nathan said, you're the man. He did finger point, but David needed that in the moment because he hasn't confessed yet, right? He's drawing him out. And David says, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. He recognizes what I have done has displeased God. Nathan doesn't finger point. He says this to David. So beautiful. Nathan said to David in 2 Samuel 12, 13, 
the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. He goes on, he talks about some of the fallout that will take place, but that is the the heart of the good news for David. Your sin is removed. You will not die. There's a repentance, a, a way we could talk to God that it's all about, I want to avoid the consequences. I don't want to die. But that's not what David does. He says to God, the very beginning of the psalm, according, God, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. He just throws himself on the love of God. And whatever the consequences may be, they may be, but God, you are good. I've sinned against you, you and you alone. He he, he realizes his sin is awful. He throws himself to God, and there he finds freedom and forgiveness. Do that, church. Do that with God. And then from that, do that, that confession with one another. So that's the end of the sermon. A little bit about our church that we're starting. We are planting Wayfarer's Church, which well, the word Wayfarer is an old term for a traveler, right? Like the custom back in the day was if you were traveling, you weren't cycling or taking an Uber. Uh, driving, you weren't jumping on a plane, most likely you were walking. And as you walked, the road was hard. You, you would have to stop often. There'd be bandits, there'd be the elements. So you could always stop at a local church, the tradition was, and get food and drink for restoration on your way. And we want to be that kind of church that provides for people wherever they are. We, we call our, our, like our tagline is making the way of Jesus known to others on their way that we want to make him known whether they're going to be with us for five minutes or the rest of their lives following Jesus. We want to make Jesus known because he is good. The, the first followers in the book of Acts are just known as followers of the way. So we are, are, are walking together as a church in Spryfield. When we first moved to Spryfield, you know, we heard about Spryfield. I, I'm from Tatamagish. I'm a blue noser. I know about Spryfield. And people warn us, oh, Spryfield. It has cleaned up a lot. It, it really, really has. But about a year ago, I saw uh, this image outside of my bathroom window when I was looking down uh, on the hill. We live on Thornhill Drive, really original name. It's a hill with lots of thorns. And there I saw this bike. But I was like, oh, there's more than a bike here. There's uh, a hat down on the bottom left and a shoe underneath the saddle. Uh, I found a cell phone. And there on the right, in the grass, you see a small pool of blood. I was like, whoa, this is weird. We're living in Spryfield. What ended up happening is I tried to find out who is, who is this phone. Maybe I can find out, like, has someone been calling, looking for this person, like, looking for their phone. Opened it up. It was unlocked. And right in the middle of the home screen was the Bible app. Really weird. But God let me know through that moment, his word is here in this community. He is here. He is ahead of us, and he is going to do a mighty work. He is telling his story. It ended up that this guy was just going out for a Friday night drunk bike ride and uh, ended up crashing his bike down the hill. He was okay. Bike was returned to him, and it was all good. But we are making Jesus known in Spryfield. There's 26 of us being sent out from our sending church, Pax North, a sister church in the fellowship. We're planting 
with the fellowship. Of those 26, 14 are under age 10. So we're starting a kids' church, which is exciting, right? Kids have a lot of life and fun. We're glad about that. Uh, So we're starting this church, and a little picture of our family. They could not be here today just with all the busyness of the move, but this is the us, the Ardens. Uh, We have been here before, and we do plan to show up again someday, all of us. uh, But there's myself and Kayla, Nora, Jude, he's seven this week, uh, London, and Gemma. Uh, So that's us, and we've been called with these other families to start this church Our timeline right now, we've been training and doing discipleship, evangelism. We just started in the last month two small groups that are meeting, really excited about that, where we can gather those who we we would say are are close to us but far from Jesus, that they can have conversations with us, meals with us, and get to know the Jesus whom we're close to and trying to walk with uh, and we love. This fall, we're going to be starting, uh, you know, paused for the summer, summer's busy family time, especially after COVID. It's good to get away and unplug. Um, But in the fall, starting to work towards launch, uh, beginning to prepare and move ahead uh, for the plant, either the end of the year or early next year doing week-to-week services. Uh, We're so thrilled with how God has sped up that timeline and at times slowed down that timeline. One way you can help is I have these cards placed around uh, the room today. And I would love for you to fill this out and give it back to me uh, for two reasons, two big reasons. The first one is the first line. You could just stay in contact with us. So you could be praying. Prayer is essential. And we've seen God open so many doors uh, through the prayers of the saints. If you want to stay connected with our newsletter list, just check off that box. Uh, There's also fancy QR codes on the back that you can scan with your phone if that's more convenient. Uh, But if you just fill out either your email or your physical address, if you want the old school like stamp and envelope kind of newsletters, we do those a few times a year too. Uh, But if not, we send a monthly email newsletter. Just fill out email address and hand this back in so you can be praying. Uh, Give it back to me at the door, that'd be awesome. But if, if you are more interested in learning about partnering with us, maybe either like personally, like if you're moving to Spryfield or Halifax, I would love to have a conversation with you about joining us. If you're a student coming to the city, uh, if you know someone in Spryfield that would be a good contact, um, let me know. And we are also looking for financial partners. Uh, If you would like to have more of a conversation and find out in ways you could partner with us, either financially uh, or even churches, we've been telling like, you know, someday it'd be great to have like a music team come down or a children's uh, care team come down and help us out as we're short on volunteers. Um, come down if we're doing a community barbecue and just be some volunteers. Come to a Sunday service and set up chairs so we can talk to our neighbors. There's all kinds of ways like you can make partnership really meaningful, either through funds or through volunteering. So if that's something that interests you, uh, please check off that second box and either I'll come up and we can grab a coffee or we can do a, a Zoom call if you're not too tired uh, of, of those and we can chat some time uh, about that. But please fill this out. I would love to connect with you um, and get to know you more. Let me pray and thank you so much, church. Father, uh, you are good. Uh, we thank you that we can come to you in confession. 
We thank you that you call us to. We thank you, God, that you save many. And we pray for this church in Spryfield, Wayfarer's Church. Pray for myself, these families, that you would help us to make Jesus known in Spryfield. To others, whether they've lived there for multiple generations or if they've just been in Canada for a few months. Whether they be from like a blue-collar trades background or they're working in one of the universities as a teacher. There's such a mix of people in Spryfield God. Such a good picture of what you've called the church to be. Saved and redeemed from every tribe and tongue. So I pray for a good harvest in Spryfield. And I also pray for a really big one here in Great Village. Bless this church, God. Lead her. Strengthen her. Be over pastor Josh and Steve and Alex as they care for this church, as this church cares and confesses to one another. May it be filled with your spirit and guided by your son. In Jesus' name, amen.